Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Would you guys please give a foundation welcome to Pastor Mike Mugford? You come on up. I'm going to introduce you. For those, for those of you not familiar with the structure of the Church of God, Pastor Mike is basically our pope here in Northern California. I've told him he needs to get a hat. Uh, he is one hat away from being the pope. Uh, he graciously, when I reached out to him and told him I needed to do more chemotherapy, he said, I can take a week. And so anyway, would you please join me in listening carefully, because this is not Mike speaking. This is the Holy Spirit of the living God through the word of God. There is a blessing for you so that you could be a blessing, right? Amen. Amen. You got your on face mic? Okay. Am I good? All right. I want you to do something with me uh, to start. Would you all stand? And I would like you to just put out your hands like this with your fists down. Because a lot of us came this morning with our fists closed. We've struggled this week. We've battled this week. And we aren't ready at all for what God wants to do in these next few minutes. This is kind of our posture right now. Worship didn't melt us enough. <laughs> and now as you begin to say, Lord God, I want to receive today from you. Loosen your hands and turn them upward. Lord God, pour into my hands, into my life, what I need this week, this day, this hour, this minute, to walk closer to you, to be used by you, to be open to receive whatever it is you want to give me, not just what I think I need or what traditionally I think I could receive, but what you have for me today. Thank you, Jesus, in advance, that you're gonna do things that we did not anticipate in our lives this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Hey, um, I want you to imagine with me for a minute, put on a hat, if you will, that you're a great king or a president, if we don't really relate to kings in the United States. But you're a great king. You have great authority and power. You have the stewardship of your nation. And you've just learned that three armies are plotting to move against you. What kind of strategy are you going to employ? Well, most of us would probably go and figure out how to prepare our armies, right? We'd go to our generals. We'd, we'd do an asset uh, evaluation. What do we got? What are our resources? How are we going to combat? these enemies who are about to come up against us. Maybe, maybe you are an orator and you think to yourself, I will deliver that great Winston Churchill inspiring kind of message to my, to my men, to my army. Or would you gather a band of musicians and some altos and tenors and sopranos and basses and march out against the army? Uh, probably not. That's probably not your first strategic off in the weeds. 
and away from God and not faithful to what, but Jehoshaphat, say that with me real quick, Jehoshaphat. I love that name, don't you? Uh, when I was a, a young pastor, uh, the little youth group choir uh, did a musical uh, and it was called Fat, Fat Jehoshaphat. Uh, and that's always stuck with me. I love that name, though. It's, you know, it's not an everyday name. I'm, I'm grateful my parents didn't name me Jehoshaphat. But, but it's a great name, wouldn't you say? And he was a great king. And he was told by a prophet, and we're going to get into that a little bit, and we're going to look at Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter here in just a minute. But he was told by a prophet, this is what he, what he was told, the king appointed singers, after the, the prophet had told him, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord, praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang, it says. Give thanks to the Lord, for his faithful love endures forever. Uh, th that might ring a bell for some of you who have been long worshipers. Uh, Chris Tomlin wrote a song that basically said that, right? Give thanks to the Lord our God and King his love. Right? Okay. This morning, I want to talk to you about some principles I think we can lift out of this event in the nation. So if you have a Bible or you have your, your phone, uh, pull up 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter. We're going to look at this and then unpack it a little bit. The 20th chapter, verses actually 15 through 24. The prophet is speaking to um, Jehoshaphat, and he says, he said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid. You know, David, or uh, this morning, Greg was reminding us how often in the first five books of the Bible, we're reminded how forgetful we can be. And God does have to remind us of some things, doesn't he? This is one of the things that is repeated over and over throughout God's story with men. Do not be afraid. Why? Because we are fearful people. It's easy for us to get frightened and afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jezreel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your position and then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Korath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tokah. 
on, that, on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him with his holy, for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At that very moment, we'll stop there. Some principles that arise immediately, don't they? One, King Jehoshaphat is reminded that the battle it belongs to the Lord. Yeah, amen to that, right? It belongs to, and if they would believe in the Lord's strategy, they would succeed. How often do we mess that up <laughs> and start thinking, that can't possibly be the strategic move that I'm supposed to make. That doesn't make any sense. To just sing praise? Well, armies well-armed and militarily superior are moving against us. Oh, but God is a God who works in wondrous ways. Amen? Mysterious ways. It says here that if they will follow the strategy that the prophet had told them, what does it say? They won't even have to lift up a sword. That's the kind of battle I want to be in. <laughs> Where I'm not even going to have to fight. He's going to do the fight. How often, we sing a song at the church that I attend that says, I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. Man. I can fight in a completely different way if I realize that the battle I'm in, he's already won. Amen? They did something else here, and then I want to move into really the meat of what I want to share with you. They thanked God in advance. Hey, it's easy to be thankful after the fact. Amen? The battle's won, and we're all, man, thank you, thank you. But what they did was they thanked God in advance because he'd been faithful before. They believed he'd be faithful again, and they thanked him in advance. You know, it doesn't take much faith in God to thank him for something after he's done it. I mean, we're still supposed to thank him. Don't miss my point. But the way you show God that you have faith that he will complete what he started in you is when you thank him in advance. So this morning, I want to make this really practical for us. I'm going to give you three or four principles that I think have to do with the power of praise and worship. The power that is in the praise and worship. Rick Warren says, worship and praise are verbalized faith. I love that. When I worship and praise the Lord, I am visibly saying, I have faith in you, God. Praise is a part of all of us, isn't it? Worship is a part of all of us. The challenge is, what do we praise and worship? Everybody worships. You know, we have holidays where, and I just heard that Mother's Day is one of the top holidays of the year. Well, Mother's Day is simply a time to praise our, our mothers, right? 
And Hallmark has made a fortune in proclaiming that that's what we should do. We should do that. I've been to a lot of concerts, um, and people go nuts at the end of a concert. They're praising the band, but they're also praising the band because they want an encore, right? You know? And I've been to concerts where, for, for some folks, it's like a spiritual experience for them. You know, they are worshiping the band, not just enjoying them. They've made gods out of them, right? <laughs> I didn't know whether Greg would be here or not, but I want to say one word. One of the ways that we can celebrate, and we're coming in October, just a month or so from now, is Pastor Appreciation Month. Did you know that? Hallmark doesn't make nearly as big a deal of that as, as other events. I mean, you have to really search for a Pastor Appreciation Card in Hallmark. But one of the great ways that we can serve our pastors is to praise them and to thank them and to let them know that we appreciate them. We all do that in different ways. But I, I'm just here to remind you, October's coming. Okay, I, I've got no, uh, I, I've not got a, any horse in the game, so, but, but honor your pastors. Celebrate them, worship them. Not, don't worship them, that's not the right thing. But put them, let them know you appreciate them. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says, praise is inner health made audible. It tells a lot about what's going on internally in you as to your ability to praise. Justin Cornwall says this, I wonder if we ever would get so excited over Jesus and what he's done for us that we'd have to release the pressure of the excitement in shouts of praise. Have you ever been there? I've not been in very many church guide congregations where that happens. I'm just going to tell you, I've been to other places where it's just like, bam, and they're just like, whoa, God's doing something amazing, right? Why aren't we more like that? I don't know, it's cultural for one, but, but sometimes it just has to come out, what Jesus has done, amen? And it comes out through praise and through worship. I want to give you four quick principles. You might want to write these down. Four quick principles about the power of praise. One, praise gives us access to God. Anybody here want to really be able to meet with God, have access to him? You got to praise. The psalmist says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, you need to understand just a little bit to really put that into perspective. It wasn't just that they drove up their cars to church and got to come in the front doors. For most Hebrews, to get to go to the temple was a journey. For some of them, a long journey that cost them considerable. They left their work. They brought their family. It was Days of travel. And do you think when they got to the gate, they kind of went, uh, I don't know if I really need to go in or not. 
You know, after, after going days, they are thrilled to come to the gate. And they enter it with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for, for the ability to make this trip and to keep us safe and all of those things. Praise gives us access into the temple. And as we know, what Jesus did gives us access into the Holy of Holies, not just into the outer temple or the outer court like in the, the days of old. I had some folks in my church in Eugene who used to come to me and act as if this was a compliment. They would say, you know, we don't come for the worship much because we really want to hear you preach. And I thought to myself, what a pitiful thing. <laughs> worship isn't the prelude to the sermon. The sermon is not the main event. The people of God gathering to praise God and give him glory, that's the main event. And if you show up late and think, well, it's a real compliment to Greg to show up for the message, it's not. It's not just a warm-up for the main event. How do we make praise a part of our everyday life? I'm challenged with that all the time, aren't you? Uh, my default mode, I'm going to just tell you, if I'm not very conscious about what I'm doing, my default mode is cynicism and criticism. I don't know about you. I'm just kind of a negative person. So I know when my heart is filled with praise and thanksgiving, that it's because the Spirit is filling me and giving me the ability and giving me closer access to a Father who loves me and wants me to come, has done everything possible to make access to himself available to me. So praise gives us access to God. I don't know anybody who, who would say, I don't, I don't want access to him. You know? I, I'd prefer not to. You know? Second, praise changes you. Praise, change, praise changes relationships, doesn't it? When you start to praise a child, you can just see them just kind of, you know, open up and, and become... Praise changes hearts. If you're in a marriage that's negative and critical, start praising your partner and see them start to open. You know what? I know that sounds so simplistic, but it's true. You start finding the things that are good in your partner rather than the things that you are always picking at. It changes mindsets. I've become very deliberate. I walk from six to seven or five to six, depending on what my day looks like, every day. And I am very deliberate with, I do not, I take my phone only because my wife says, I need to reach you if, if you have a heart attack or something. Um, but I don't ever bother on the phone. That's not, I'm, it's in my pocket because that hour is my hour to get aligned with God 
to put aside my negativity and my critical spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to tune me up for the day. It changes me. And as I praise God on my walk, I'm, I'm different. I'm just different. In praise, our focus shifts, catch this, our focus shifts from us to him. That's a critical moment, isn't it? I'm so about me. I mean, even when I'm preaching, I'm like, I hope they're, is my fly down? Am I okay? Everything. You know, it's so easy to get sucked into yourself. Amen? But we need, we need through praise to shift from ourselves to him. From our problems to the source of solutions. From pain to promise. From hurt to hope. Justin Cornwall says, So often when we have heated our spirits in worship, thoughts, desires, and attitudes rise to the surface. When we've already had worship and we've been before the Lord and, and Greg or the pastor preaches so often things come up he didn't say, but the Spirit prompted you about. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come up, man, when you talked about this, I'm like, I didn't talk about that. Right? But what the Spirit spoke to them in that moment was, was not about me, not about the message, but about that person and their life before them. Praise and worship melts down the jagged edges of our life until they're smooth and pliable in his hands and he can mold us. I need to prompt here real quick. Be patient. You're not going to change overnight. To become a person of, of praise and worship, start incorporating it into in five-minute integral intervals, Right? Don't go, I'm going to praise and worship God for the next 24 hours. Good luck. <laughs> you know, it's probably not going to happen. But what if you could incorporate 10 more minutes of worship and praise into the rest of this day? And maybe 15 next week. And 20. Do you see what I'm saying? Be patient. Don't, don't push the envelope too quickly. Remember that you're being changed, not that you're fully changed, that you're being molded. Third, praise is about a relationship, not a ritual. I love this out of Psalm 81. It says, I am the Lord, your God. Do you realize God wants to have a personal, of course you do. You know that, but do you live that way? Or do you just give it lip service and yet fall into the ritual? Did somebody sit in your seat this morning? You know, we don't have name tags on our seats, but we know where we sit. Right? If somebody sits there, that's a ritual. At the church I attend, we sing three songs and we have an 
uh, the announcements, and then we have the scripture, then we sing a song while we talk about, the, uh, and then we, you know what I'm saying? It's ritual. No, we don't have a catechism. We don't have a liturgy, but boy, if you start throwing those things off, somebody's going to go, whoa, what's going on here? If you preach first and worship after, which I used to do some, people are like, what happened? It's like you just rocked their world. But isn't it wonderful to think that he's our God? That the God of all creation, the universe, all the moons and stars, could be anywhere, could do anything, yet he chooses to be with you and me. He chooses to be with you and me. But worship can just as easily and free-form worship, whatever form you want to, can very quickly and easily become ritual, can't it? Instead of unfettered praise. A.W. Tozer, who's this amazing prophetic writer uh, of the last century, in 1962 he wrote this. He said, worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. He grieved. It is scarcely possible in most places to get anyone to attend a meeting where the only attraction is God. Now, I'm not going to... I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I love to sing with huge groups of people. I, I do. I love, I love going to big events and... Uh, and, and singing with the 10,000 men or whatever. Um, I, you know, I've been to the different churches that have got the smoke and the mirror and all, all the, and it's great. I'm not, I'm not, please don't hear me being critical of that. It's great. But I've also met God in the most humble and broke down Worships. Let me give you an example. Oh, we still got plenty of time. It's not even noon. It's not even noon yet. No. <laughs> so I pastored a church for 32 years in Eugene, Oregon. And when I got there, we had a choir. We had the organ, the piano. We, and, uh, you know, as, as the leadership of the church began to ponder, how are we going to grow? How are we going to penetrate our neighborhood? How are we going to make a difference in our community? We came to the, the place where we said, we need to change up our worship. You know, it's, it's not relevant to the folks that we want to reach. And so we went through the uh, worship wars of the 90s. Everybody, you know, you probably did it. Every church did. And we, you know, we, the, the organ got unplugged and the Piano became keyboards, and we had drums and bass, and we had several vocalists and all those kinds of things. We were hip. I mean, we had over 200 high school and college students coming to our worships every Sunday, and they battled for the front row of the church, which blew me away. I was like, what? I talked to our, our youth pastors. What are they all doing up front? They go, 
None of them know anything about church, but they know about events. And they, he said, where do you want to sit at a concert? Front row center. Man, they knocked all the old folks out of their seats and they were all up front. We were hip. We were. We were a cool church. And I was really prideful about it, too. One Sunday, well, one week as the worship planning team met together, the worship leader said, this next weekend we're going to start worship with Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Page seven out of the red hymnal of the Church of God. And uh, I thought, oh, man, what are we doing? We are taking major steps back. And I had several days to dread it, you know, because this is Wednesday and Sunday's coming. And I was sitting in the front row of the sanctuary as the team started, and we sang it very traditionally, started, holy, holy, holy. That's about as far as I got. And I broke. I mean, I wept. It's, whoops, sorry about that. It's, it's emotional even to talk about now for me. But what God said was, it's not the vehicle. <laughs> it's, it's your heart, it's your attitude, it's who I am. And I can use anything, including, you know, a band of kazoos <laughs> to lead worship. Amen? Because... We so easily can get into ritual, and it's not about ritual. It's not about any of our traditions. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ, the living God, who wants to move next door to you and live in your neighborhood. Right? So praise is all about relationship. This is one of the wonderful things. David gets it, doesn't he? The Psalms are just full of worship and praise. And, and Psalm 22, verse 3 says, He inhabits the praises of his people. Praise looks good on God's people. You look good when you praise God. When a church is authentically worshiping, it is at its apex of what it was called to do. Because our God deserves ultimate worship and praise. There is no one like him. Fourth, praise destroys the enemy. We're back to where we begin. From Revelation to, or from Genesis to Revelation, the, the children of God defeat the enemy through worship and praise. It's unbelievable. Having our minds renewed through praise and worship doesn't give the enemy a place in our thinking. Let's, let's just lay it on the line. You can't worship and praise and be cynical and critical at the same moment. In your brain, you have to choose one or the other. You can't do both simultaneously. So when we make it our goal to worship and praise the living God, 
to lift him up, make him known, honor him with how we live. We don't give the enemy space. But you know what? How often we worry about our enemy, don't we? (laughs) Don't you think Jehoshaphat got the message and then thought, oh, how is this going to work? And probably shifted to worry a few times. Don't you think? I believe it because he was human. (laughs) But we often give the enemy power he doesn't have. If you don't remember anything else that I tell you this morning, remember that. Don't give the enemy power he doesn't have. I often heard a, a verse quoted from 1 Peter 5, 8. You know that verse, don't you? As a lion, he's roaring around looking for someone to devour, right? I want you to grab hold of this. Did you notice how it says, as a roaring lion? He's not a roaring lion. We don't serve a wimpy tin lion. We follow and serve the lion of Judah. (laughs) Don't give the enemy power he doesn't deserve. I, I heard this not too long ago. Did you know that lions roar in order to, for just a moment, put their prey in paralysis? Just for that, rawr! And just in that moment when they are, is when they pounce. Don't give the enemy that, that inroad. He's not a lion. He's an imposter. He has no power. Listen, he has no power except what we give him. We don't have to give him any authority over our lives. So as we conclude, let me ask you a couple questions. How many battles do you needlessly fight? Drawing out your sword of worry, your shield of fear, our words of war. What would happen if we simply trusted that the lion of the tribe of Judah has already won the battle. What would happen? What if you really believed with all your heart that every conversation that you will have the rest of the day, the Holy Spirit has already gone before you and prepared? What would happen? What would happen going to work tomorrow and know that that difficult conversation you have to have with one of your employees, God has already prepared the answer and is at work for you and them to come together. There is power in praise and worship. God said to Jehoshaphat, 
you won't even have to lift a sword. And we, we, we stopped that, that story, and I'll, I'll close with this. We stopped it at, at that very moment. Do you know what happened at that very moment? God put those three armies in such confusion that they killed each other. They didn't recognize who the enemy was. They, they pounced on each other until the... They, can you imagine Jehoshaphat and his army kind of sitting there going, I don't know what's going on. They're beating up each other. Boy, my junior high days would have been a lot better if that had been the case. <laughs> so let's review. Praise gives us access to God. It changes us from the inside out because it causes us to reflect on the Father. Praise is about relationship with the Creator, not a ritual. And praise defeats our enemies and brings us closer to God's will in our lives. Well, I hope God said something to you this morning that you can take and use in your life this week. Pray with me. Father God, thank you that you are the center of all things. That you are the master of all things. Forgive us when we tremble in fear over the most petty of situations. When we give the enemy power he doesn't have, Lord God, help us to be people of praise and of worship for your honor, for your glory, so that the kingdom may go forth and that lives can be changed, beginning with me. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, thanks for uh, being here this morning. Thanks for letting me be here. Love this place. Um, and um, God bless you. Have a great, great day.